if I wanted to tell women, hey, you know, leadership is available and mm -hmm. uh, promote yourself, you know, uh, talk about your work, um, then I have to do the same. I have to self-promote. I needed to be the change I wanted to see in the world. Just an act of determination more than bravery mm -hmm. for me. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to the Future of Product podcast. My guest today is Barka Herman, founder of South Florida Women in Technology, former Microsoft solutions architect, podcaster, speaker, technologist. You hold a lot of titles, Barka. Uh, do you care to tell us a little bit more about yourself and your journey in tech? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that I've just kind of started acquiring titles. So I'm <laughs> not doing everything at once. Mm. Uh, but, you know, uh, I've, I've been in the tech field for 30 plus years now. And uh, over, over the years, you know, had hobbies. And some of them are creating, uh, being a founder, <laughs> being a founder of Women in Technology Group, as well as uh, started and sold some companies along the way, and then having careers, including uh, at Microsoft, as you mentioned, and consulting for many large companies over the years. So, um, very so, cool. Awesome. I mean, regardless, I'd say you do a lot, right? <laughs> You're, you've got a, a lot of things going at once. Um, how do you balance it all? Yeah, so that's a good question. And I get that question a lot. And I think that when I was very young, I only had to sort of, you know, leaving home and being only responsible for myself. Mm -hmm. um, all I did was work and sort of essentials to keep me alive. So, yes. you know, that was it. And I worked a lot uh, mm -hmm. and I was able to work a lot because I was in a new field. It was very exciting. I was learning. I was doing a lot. Um, all that was great. Then I had a career, a family, and mm -hmm. I was pursuing a second degree. And I did all three of them together. Wow. I think that it kind of put me in this habit of mm -hmm. doing a lot. Um, and so after the kids kind of, grew up and started driving themselves to high school. It was amazing. Yeah. And then they left home and they, you know, they're independent. And now it's like, I I don't feel like I'm doing anything at all. Mm. But I, you know, <laughs> I have this pattern of doing a lot. So, you know, um, so, so I hear you that I'm doing a lot, but I don't feel like I'm doing a lot. Yeah. And, you know, I might've picked up a couple tips on time management along the way. <laughs> well, I think we'd all love to hear them. <laughs> um, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, do you want me to talk about time management? Yeah, let's, yeah, let's get into it. Yeah. So um, this is one thing that I kind of discovered about myself. Hmm. I can either spend a lot of time in planning, procrastinating or worrying, which is hmm. not being here in the moment and doing right. stuff. Or I can lose myself in the task. So I mentioned when I was younger, I was learning to become a developer, coder. Mm -hmm. It was exciting. Like I could start something and then hours went by and I would literally have to remind myself to feed, you know, feed myself and things like right. that. That was, you know, losing time. And I would think, oh, I'm only doing one thing, but I was accomplishing a lot. Right. And it paid off very much so. <clears throat> so that's what I tend to do is I am good at putting things on my calendar. Everything is on my calendar. If it doesn't exist on my calendar, it might not happen. Right. <laughs> but I'm also good at losing myself in what I'm doing. And what it does is kind of a single focus. It's kind of like 
you know, uh, being in computer science, it's kind of like hardware architecture. If you're multitasking, there's a cost to how many tasks you're switching. Mm. And sometimes the cost of task switching is, you know, it's um, diminishing returns. So you can context switch a little bit and it's efficient, especially Mm -hmm. if something's happening and you know you can do something else in the meantime but if you're doing too many things then it's it, it doesn't pay very much at all so right. focus focus is, is the name of the game absolutely i love what you say about the calendar right uh, same here it's not on the gcal it doesn't exist <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah um that's awesome. So I'd love to, to learn a little bit more about, you know, some of your experience uh, with kind of being a leader in women in tech. Uh, can you share some of your experiences there and, and the work that you've been doing in that space? Yeah. You know, when I started out, um, there weren't that many. I, I was consulting for IBM at the time. I live in South Florida area. IBM was big here. I was doing some consulting and, you know, mm-hmm. there were women there, but I think that there was this sense of I need I needed to be masculine to fit in mm. that that uh, realm, yeah. and and I I did that, um, but it wasn't a comfort position for me. I think that as I got older, I became a little more myself, mm-hmm. and it was a comfortable position. I could, you know, I could bring my whole self to work, and it was really more rewarding. Um, and then uh, what I what started happening was, again, you know, I'll, I'll bring back to family work, mm-hmm. all this stuff. I noticed that there were a lot of young men who were doing amazing work, but they had downtime. They had more time than me. Mm. When, when my, I finally got to the point where I was able to go to conferences and be somewhere, I was watching all these people who were very inspiring. And don't get me wrong. I mean, the reason I have a fabulous career is because all the men in my life helped me mm. get there. Right. So nothing against men in tech. Um, However, I was not seeing that many female faces. Mm. And so I was like, okay, what do I do if I am going to tell people that, hey, I would love to see more women speaker. uh, My male colleagues can't help me with that. I had to step up. Right. If I wanted to tell women, hey, you know, leadership is available and Mm. uh, promote yourself, you know, uh, talk about your work. Um, then I have to do the same. I have to self-promote. I can't be a wallflower and tell other people, hey, you you don't be a wallflower. That doesn't mm. work. So that was really my journey into it. It wasn't something that I set out to do, mm-hmm. but I realized that I kind of had to do it right. in order to, um, I, I needed to be the change I wanted to see in the world. And that's right. what it's all about. So. No, it's, I mean, it's very brave, right? You, you kind of see that that void of, of leadership. And so you took the step to actually step into that and, and embody it. Um, was it. Was that a hard transition for you, uh, kind of being in the, the spotlight? It, it really wasn't. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that, again, you know, um, I've, I've read this. I don't know if this is true, but uh, there have been surveys where people say, uh, you know, the two top tiers, and I don't mm-hmm. know which order, is death and public public speaking. <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> so um, I've heard that. And I know a lot of very talented, intelligent women that I've mm-hmm. kind of encouraged them to, hey, you should speak, you should lead, you should show up, right? This is not about speaking as much as 
representing, right? Mm. Show up. And, um, and many of them still don't. And that's yeah. fine. You know, I, I don't want anyone to be out of their comfort zone. However, for me, it wasn't so much that I was afraid. Like I, I was, you know, I, I'm cerebral. I like to live in my head. That's the best place to be for me. Yeah. <laughs> Not out in public. However, <laughs> um, from raising kids, I realized that for them, I was mm. willing to speak up. I see. For them, I was willing to pick a fight. For yeah. them, I was willing to participate. So if you have the right reasons, mm. then that fear kind of goes away. And yeah. for me, it wasn't about me showing up as much as me showing up for someone. Mm. That made a huge difference. Right. And so it wasn't so much bravery. It was just an act of determination more than bravery mm. for me. I see. Just truly wanting the space to change and to see that change, you just had to kind of step into it and, and embody it yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Couldn't better. Yeah. So um, you mentioned uh, South Florida and I, I saw in your, your LinkedIn that you're, I believe, the founder of South Florida Women in Tech. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. So um, that's another funny story. I started, you know, I I was attending a lot of meetups. I, I We had started this cloud user group locally and we were hosting all these events. I was like, you know, I'd love to have a women only uh, thing. And I went to meet up and there were tens of them. And I went and tried to reach out all of them, but all of them, you know, the, the typical meetup group, they start, they do five, 10 events, and then they kind mm. of fall off the face of the earth. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I tried reaching out and I couldn't find anything. And I said, screw it. I'm going to create my own. Mm-hmm. I did. I said, this is just a meetup. We're just going to get together and, you know, just women geeking out together. Um, I have a lot of women in my family, friend circle that I can't sort of talk tech to. Mm. So this was like a unique situation. It was a handful of us, but it grew fairly fast. And uh, we were meeting regularly. We were having fun. We were talking, you know, um, women. We were talking tech. We were talking women in tech, specific stuff and whatever else. And it was great. I had one young lady come to me and she told me, she said, you know, there is no one I can talk to like mm. this with. I have no place that I can go and have this kind of conversation. And to me, that's what it was about. Then COVID hit. Uh. <laughs> so then it was like, oh, all that juiciness of meeting mm. in person was just gone. So right. then I made it a virtual thing, but then I made it also more of a, you know, I had colleagues and friends all over the country, all around the world. So now Mm -hmm. it became slightly bigger. We still have the same name. And then I got to the point where it's like, okay, this is, this is, this is fun. I love doing this. So Mm -hmm. I made it a nonprofit. And so now it's a nonprofit. Uh, We, we try to meet every week. We, at best, we do three out of four weeks out of the month. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're doing some amazing sessions. We have um, you know, a career focused track, we have a book club track, and then we have some technical tracks uh, during during the month. And uh, it, it's it's all good stuff. We're recording all the stuff, making it available. It's free. And it's awesome. it's a great place. It's a, you know, labor of love. It's it's just a great place to hang out for me. That's fantastic. Now, that's so cool. I yeah. um, so kind of 
talking, you know, so COVID I, I was one of the great disruptor, right? Just everything that was in person, just forget about it, right? <laughs> it's amazing that you managed to to make it through that transition, though. Um, I also just for anybody in the audience who doesn't know, you run your own podcast as well. I do. Yeah, yeah. I'd like um, for it to be as as regular as yours, Max, but it's not. Um, and again, um, what happened was I was listening to a lot of podcasts. And again, mm-hmm. women in podcasting is slightly smaller than men in podcasting. Right. Uh, again, I love all the podcasts that I listen to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm addicted to them. That's what's playing in the background when I'm coding, when I'm doing my work, or write, writing article, creating content, whatever. Um very inspiring, but mm-hmm. it's it's kind of like um, I would love to have a podcast that interviews normal women, right? Mm-hmm. Normal women in tech. And uh, so I started interviewing just my colleagues and yeah. people in my community. And the stories were astounding. Like mm. you think that, you know, you don't have to be a CEO, CTO. And listen, I love those stories, right? I love mm-hmm. to hear about Marissa Meyer's story or, you know, all right. these amazing women. They're very inspiring, but so are the ordinary stories. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I interviewed young women who were flunked in a class, but then they mm-hmm. came back and became CTO, right? <laughs> I've interviewed a person who got pregnant and then they decided to go to university after that and they were the first person in their family to get a degree in computer science fabulous career at this point so these are simple stories these are everyday stories and to me it's like unsung heroes and because and you know like listen i'm not i'm not trying to say oh only women in technology Mm. are awesome Right. That's not the point. The point yeah. is that these are such great stories. And so anyone can hear and get inspiration from them. Absolutely. And, you know, so, so that's what the podcast is all about. That's fantastic. No, I, um, well, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about, about tech as kind of a, a mechanism for upward mobility, right? Because, um, it's something that I'm definitely passionate about. I, I come from the Rust Belt, um, where there's a little bit less opportunity, right? Um, and across the board, I've always seen tech um, as this great answer. And I think it's kind of been bolstered with AI um, for people who don't necessarily have the resources going in, don't have, you know, this prestigious university background, the connections to actually be able to create a product and have their value be undeniable, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, most of the people that I follow in tech uh, mm-hmm. are are creators, um, and and a lot of them don't have university degrees and don't mm-hmm. have the traditional path, right? right? Even the ones who we know of, like you know Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, dropouts, college dropouts, right? Mm-hmm. So so it's yes, they had a lot more opportunity than some others. They were in amazing campuses and whatnot. And absolutely, yes, there's an advantage to be in Silicon Valley because you may run into a founder or a VC person Mm -hmm. in a Starbucks, right? So all that is great. But I think that tech creates um, this unique opportunity that is so great. So Mm -hmm. um, my mother was the first career woman in my family, and I grew up in India. So, But she was a school teacher. And it was an amazing career for her because she had uh, the same days off as us. Yeah. And 
mostly the same hours as us. And yeah, she brought home uh, work home all the time, but she was able to have a career and a family life and be very mm-hmm. effective of, at both. Right. To me, you know, um, I feel the same way about tech. Yeah. You and and t- especially today, when I was going in computer science class, mm-hmm. I took a class where um, you know I learned Fortran, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which is not even used anymore. I had to take <laughs> a Fortran class, right? I had to use mainframe computers to do certain mm-hmm. things. Uh, nowadays, you can go on YouTube and learn. Yep. Yep. You can learn technology. You can teach yourself Rust. You can teach yourself Node. You can teach yourself, you know, AI. You can do all mm-hmm. these things. And I think that more and more we see stories of people who are not in the quote-unquote right community, quote-unquote mm-hmm. right body, right flavor, whatever, right, right? right. location, um, mm-hmm. environment, whatever that may be. And especially like working moms, if you can work from home, come on, yeah. you know, how amazing is that? So Absolutely. I think technology is a great equalizer and the, the ubiquitousness of mm-hmm. the knowledge that we have right now. You know, I remember having to order books and then wait for them to come right. and then reading them to solve a problem. You don't mm-hmm. have to that anymore you can go to code pen and right. there are samples that people have written you know so it's just right. it's amazing we live in this great time so i think technology is amazing um you can anyone can can learn and create and succeed and uh we have you know literally thousands of examples of it yeah absolutely so kind of on that topic a little bit um you mentioned you know, tech is the great equalizer. I love that. Um, are there any emerging trends in tech and in AI that you're excited about and that you think may, you know, impact the industry and, and women in the industry? Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think AI is the big, big buzz, right? So mm-hmm. let's talk mm-hmm. about AI. Uh, I remember uh, taking a class in neural networks. Uh, mm-hmm. This was in the 90s. So we were using some, you know, old data sets, Berkeley mm-hmm. sockets. Inter- internet was available, was there, but big data was not a thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, we would train neural networks using C and um, data sets that were kind of academically available. They weren't mm-hmm. particularly large. And what we could achieve using that was trivial. Like, it wasn't that great. I mean, it was, in some sense, it was amazing, mm-hmm. but the data wasn't there. Now we're, we're looking at data being ubiquitous. So it's everywhere. Whatever we do, we are generating data all the time. Right. And uh, that has the ability to transform things. And it's brought to the forefront um some trends that are troubling. And, you know, I'm, I'm one of these optimists, eternal optimists. I see problems with society, but the fact that we're even seeing them is a great thing, right? 20 years ago, we didn't notice it. So AI, ethics and AI is a big thing for me. Uh, however, I think that it's something that we're talking about. And if we're talking about, we have a possibility of fixing it. Mm. So, you know, facial recognition started with right. you know, young college men being used for facial recognition. 
uh, we've come a long way from that. That's not an issue anymore, right? That's Mm -hmm. not a thing. But even something as simple as uh, medicine dosage, which Mm -hmm. is not tech, which is not AI, well, it's medical tech, but it's not AI, is because experiments are done on young men in Mm -hmm. college. So dosage for an aspirin would be different for you, Max, than it would be me because of so many differences. So these differences aren't even considered, like they're not in the the human imagination, is uh, definitely not in, in, we're not talking about it. But AI is kind of um, exasperating some of these issues, but also bringing them to forefront so we can fix it. Yeah. And so, you know, ethics in AI is a big deal uh, to me. And I think mm-hmm. that there is a way of making it so that we can make the world, um, uh, you know, more more inclusive. Um, right. You know, I, I hate using that word because it's thrown around mm-hmm. badly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But more, you know, uh, more specific. I think that right. there are many generic answers in the world. I think that we're going from a low definition world problem solving to Mm -hmm. a high definition problem solving. So, you know, like the, the, the solution when you Google it Mm -hmm. would be the same for everyone. Whereas Mm -hmm. when you do, you know, when you're using a chat GPT or your personal data Mm -hmm. to train chat GPT, now the the solution is very specific. It's specific right. to your context mm-hmm. and it's specific to you. So I think that we're going from this, you know, low res to a high res world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that'll be good and bad about it. <laughs> right. No, absolutely. <laughs> I think, you know, one of the, the traps that what I, that I've seen kind of media and, and just the general discourse falling into is, kind of these um, doomsday scenarios, right? Like the existential risks of AI. And just having um, spent some sleepless nights reading up on the issue, I I do believe that that stuff is a little bit more fanciful and and far out into the future than people maybe make it out to be. But I think that the the kind of DEI issues, the issues of, you know, bad training data, of, you know, there being inherent bias in that training data are what we're really dealing with on a day-to-day basis. Um, I, I spoke to, um, a founder named Marco last week. Um, he works specifically in tech that, you know, takes images of people's faces and turns them into like business portraits. Um, And one of the things that he was mentioning is that the silver bullet to all of this is just to have more representation in the data. Right. Yeah. So it's the same formula as me, mm -hmm. you know, me going to conferences and finding a lot of, you know, very attractive, very smart, very capable young men speaking. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not the, the, the trouble is not removing men. The trouble is adding women or adding the, the, the right data. Right. So, uh, which is reflective. And I think that's true. Um, It's funny because I, I gave a talk on, um, it, like AI 101 recently mm-hmm. at an event and we talked a little bit about generative AI mm-hmm. and um, you know the question always is like oh you know is it is it going to take over and this and that right. and I as an illustration of what it is and what it isn't mm-hmm. what I did was I actually used generative AI and, and this was Dolly to generate what my photo 
right? Mm. So describing myself, right? I gave it as much information as I could. And the image that came out looked nothing like me. Mm. And it, it, it was looked older than me, more tired, whatever, right? Yeah. So the the point here is not that um, the point here is not that generative AI is wrong or bad. Right. It's improving. It's getting mm-hmm. better. Uh, the point here is that generative AI can only um, create based on what it has sampled. Exactly. Has, like you said, it's been trained on and what's mm-hmm. available on the internet. And, you know, I am very uh i'm a very specific context Mm -hmm. so for it to be able to generate me would be difficult but this exercise was just an illustration of hey you know this is possible and this is what i mean by we're going from a generic frame like a fuzzy frame to a more Mm. you know finer grain image of the world and that's what we're creating we'll be creating solutions to me it's like um you know um i recently ordered a farm bot it's okay. this thing that actually you can program how to water and what to water. Oh, that's awesome. You know, to me, it's like being able to do that is so mm-hmm. great. You know, uh, in robotics, in AI, mm-hmm. we're getting to the point that you can have your farm in a small cube in, in your backyard. That's amazing to me. Yes. We talk about food deserts. We talk about inequality. Mm-hmm. We can kind of tune uh, what we're building for the greater good rather right. than just run scared of it. Absolutely. I'm not saying there are zero risks. Right. Right. <laughs> Certainly. Yeah. The two are not mutually exclusive, right? There you go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes. So kind of, you know, talking a little bit more about that. Um, first of all, you're going to have to send me that, that farm product. That sounds awesome. Um, <laughs> but secondly, uh, so we, we've kind of have the silver bullet as far as the training data, right? But as far as like the underlying trends that lead to the misrepresented data, which I do believe is, you know, the percentage of women that are in the tech industry, right? What yeah. are, I know this is a problem that you've thought about a lot. What, what are some of the fundamental solutions to getting more women into tech? And why do you think that there have been, you know, proportionately so few to this point? Um. Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. So one of the things that I experienced, and this is a very mm-hmm. small sampling, you know, speaking of bad training data, when I was going to university, the number of women that I was in a classroom with for computer mm-hmm. science and computer engineering uh, was very small. So it was a small number of women who are just exposed to it. I think the numbers are higher now. And that has a lot to do with uh, making um, making it accessible because when I was growing up, my mom was a school teacher and she talked about careers that she thought were okay mm-hmm. with it. Now, my mother was very progressive. She was one of the first person to, you know, have a career. Mm-hmm. And so she wasn't trying to tamper, like the right. intention wasn't to tamper my expectations. It was just, she, she saw her frame was limited. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that we've done a good job of expanding the frame for young women to right. say, hey, technology is for you. It's okay, right? Right. It didn't exist. So that was problem number one. I'm not saying it's 100%, mm-hmm. but we're getting there. We're addressing that as we go. Yeah. The second part is that I think that once, uh, and, you know, I, I work for Microsoft. I, I've consulted for right. 
you know, like Deloitte, uh, Raymond James, uh, large companies I've consulted for IBM, there have been um, uh, there have been incentive to have more women in tech. Um, so it's not that the intention is not there. Um, the trouble is that um, first people don't know how to retain women. Mm. That's been a, lo- a big issue, big challenge. So um, there's a lot of times when you know good good the good women are brought in, and then the nurture is not there, and then they mm. kind of leave. And um, and I don't like to think of it as a male versus female kind of thing, but mm-hmm. I want to talk about a, ma- a masculine principle and feminine principle. Mm-hmm. The ma- and we all have both um, in in us. The masculine principle is more competitive and mm-hmm. you know, the lone hero kind of scenario. The feminine principle tends to lean towards community a little bit. So that community needs to exist in most places. And that's one of the reasons why we, I started what I did, um, mm. is providing that community support. That's one uh, challenge. Mm. The, the third challenge, and I find, you know, I graduated with a uh, computer science degree. I had right. a, a, a friend going to university at the same time. She had an electrical engineering degree and then she converted to computer engineering and she graduated as well. And within five years of her graduating, landing a great job, mm-hmm. getting an MBA, all this stuff, she became a, uh, she transitioned to the marketing team. Mm-hmm. And this happens a lot. So we have yeah. highly technical, technically trained women mm-hmm. who kind of find technical adjacent roles mm. in the industry and not hardcore, you know, technology kind of thing. So there's, there's that sense also. Um, there are a hundred problems, right? Or maybe thousand. And not all of them are things that exist everywhere, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of flavors of challenges. Um, and each one is unique. Uh, right. What will help is actually paying attention to that. And and one of the reasons why I find that women kind of transition to either managerial or non-technical roles is because, again, you know, they have a little more feminine in their makeup and that mm-hmm. feminine tends to be, you know, creating a community minded, leadership minded, mm-hmm. uh, outreach minded. So then it's like, oh, you're good at this. You do this because we all suck at it or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. That may be just a thing uh, right. that I've observed. Again, small sample size, mm-hmm. um, but I've noticed that. So, so these are some of the challenges that we need to address. It's more than just saying, "Hey, more women in tech in school." It's more than uh, more hiring. It's also how do we have programs that help women stay and develop technically become you know tech stars. Right. Um, that that have recognition, following whatever, mm-hmm. and the the right support. So it's it's a it's a whole thing. And you know, I'll be honest with you. There's always going to be professions where there's going to be more like gender disparity. There's mm-hmm. a reason why there are more female nurses than male nurses. There's a reason why there are more female teachers than male teachers. Mm-hmm. I think some of it has to do with just you know feminine tendencies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not looking for parity, but I want, uh, what I'm looking for is every 
young girl who wants to have a career in tech, wants to succeed, mm-hmm. stay in it, and retire fabulously, yeah. can do do that. So that's what Absolutely. I'm looking. For. Yeah. Fantastic. That's so interesting. I hadn't heard it kind of expressed in that way as more of a retention issue, right? But that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. Very definitely. interesting. Definitely. So kind of, yeah, to that point, what was your own personal experience? You know, you've worked with some really huge companies, Microsoft, IBM, um, Deloitte that you mentioned. What, you know, what kind of experiences did you have? And, and do you feel like some of those were shaped by being a woman? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, So early on, um, I had a degree in hotel management and I transitioned to computer science. Now, growing up in India, I was a math lead. You know, I I won a lot of, you know, things, uh, competitions and things like that. Um, And then when I moved here and I worked on my second degree, computer science degree, um, there were uh, educators who would look at the paper and go, oh, you don't fit this mold, so mm-hmm. you know, you're not this. Uh, I had colleagues who were kind of curious about, you know, oh, is she capable, right? So there were questions everywhere. I was a young person, so I was also kind of not very smart, experienced-wise. <laughs> so <laughs> some of it I just kind of said, oh, yeah, let me show mm-hmm. you. And, right. you know, that has to do with the way I was raised. I, my, my mother never discriminated between me and my brother. You know, mm-hmm. she always told me, hey, you can be whatever you want to be. And I was also, you know, one of the smarter kids in the school. So I have faith in myself, mm-hmm. right? That's very difficult in the face of a mob that's not there for you, right? Mm-hmm. So you can fight five people out of 100, mm-hmm. but you can't Five ninety-five out of a hundred. Right. So there needs to be that. So so that was something that I found. Fortunately for me, you know, there were detractors, but there were more supporters. There right. were people who saw she's smart. She can mm-hmm. do this. Um, you know, she she rises up to challenge. And so there was a lot. Of, again, you know, I say when I started out, there weren't that many women in in tech but there were a lot of men who were very supportive and that's one of the reasons why I succeeded. So that was one, that, that is one thing. Um, the second thing that happened to me was this recognition that, um, you know, 90% of, uh, people in tech look like X. That doesn't mean I have to look like X. And that was something that Mm. took, a while for me to get to it wasn't something that just happened right away it it was a sort of trajectory of you know coming coming to that conclusion and um i don't want to throw anyone under the bus but i've had people ask me dumb questions you know just disrespect me Mm -hmm. even in even in um like more recent meetings, you know, I, mm-hmm. I would be in a customer situation and this is while working at Microsoft. And again, not throwing anyone under the bus. Yeah. Um, working with a customer situation where I am the technical resource and I have some colleagues that are the sales resources mm-hmm. um, or project management resources. And I will do a presentation, talk about a topic and somebody looks at the male counterpart and says, well, how would you solve this, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, 
And and one of the things that really, really helps is allyship. So Mm -hmm. my colleagues know me, they work with me, they know that I'm capable of answering questions and, you know, they would do the polite things saying, say, oh, that's a great question for Barca. So Barca, I could jump in and I could say, and again, you know, a lot of people operate in their automatic, Mm -hmm. right? They just, the last hundred people that they've dealt with that are technical resources were male, Mm-hmm. So there's an automatic response. This is the right. thinking fast and slow by Daniel Kahneman. Mm-hmm. Right. Thinking fast is a shortcut solution. And the shortcut mm-hmm. solution can be wrong. Right. But it could also be life-saving. <laughs> so it's right. yeah. But it's what is a learned behavior. And, mm-hmm. you know, for me, showing up all the time, speaking, and ha- helping other women show up is what's going to change that shortcut in Mm -hmm. most people's minds. And it's a generational thing too. I think that with time, hopefully it'll change, but yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I love that. Right. It's for, for the men in tech who, you know, want to be allies to, you know, our coworkers who are female, it sounds like just being a good teammate, right. Is really the way to go. I mean, at the end of the day. Yeah. And early on, it looked like, men speaking for me and Mm. that was not helping right because i didn't know how to ask for help Mm. right so um it's it it felt like people were trying to rescue me Mm. and that's not what i needed i needed to stand my ground and my by standing my ground i was like okay well i can answer this let me do this right Right? so so what you said is so important max Mm. is that you know for the male people in tech um, having somebody's back, but having somebody's back looks like asking them, Hey, how do you like to be supported? Right. As opposed yeah, to how dare you, right. Making mm-hmm. a person into a victim or whatever, or trying to help right. them or rescue them the way you would want to be. So mm-hmm. it's always a conversation of, Hey, you know, it, let's talk about this. You know, I want you mm-hmm. to present, how can I support you? How can I help you? Right. And that's a, that's a very subtle but very powerful stance. Absolutely. So can, would you mind sharing kind of a few key strategies that you have, you know, for women who are looking to excel in, in tech roles, especially kind of in the realm of, of AI? Yeah. So I actually um, um, I, come join my community, first of all. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm there. Uh, but uh, other than that, uh Find allies, find communities, find mentorship. I think that, you know, some of us, including myself sometimes, I like to do things alone. I remember way, way, way back when uh, where pair programming became a thing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, but I want to make I don't want to make mistakes in front of somebody else because my process is mistyping compilers, whatever, and then fixing it. But that's just iterative. Everybody learns that way. We all do it. And -hmm. I think a lot of times when you're new to a a field, let's say Mm -hmm. AI, you've never done anything in AI. You've been doing a lot of other coding, whatever. Mm -hmm. You're new to it. Especially then uh, finding a team or a group or whatever, even something as simple as joining a GitHub project or Mm -hmm. open source project or something, anything. Uh, that would be the the one good place to start. 
Um, and then, you know, sky's the limit. AI is at the cusp of transformation. It's new tech. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen very often. Right. And I will tell you that mm-hmm. there's a lot of guys who are thinking of a lot of ways to solve world's problems using AI. Right. And if the women jump in and they have a different set of problems mm. that they can solve, right. that's the sauce, right? That's the secret sauce because maybe somebody's not thinking about that, right. right? So there's a lot of input that can come into it. Um, plus, you know, you talk about representation, right? Mm. Uh, training data. So right. let's be that. Let's participate in that. And this is not just about men or women. It's about mm-hmm. people of every different shape, color, race, Absolutely. whatever, right? So this is this is all flavors. We need all flavors. Hundred percent, hundred percent. It's um, my my mom and I's one of our favorite shows was uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation, mm-hmm. um, and it always stood out as an example of that to me. Uh, in in narrative fiction, right, is instead of kind of seeing this natural conflict between yourself and people who are different than you it's actually a lot more valuable to get their perspective, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, if there are female founders out there, this is a great time to be alive yeah. because you yeah. can do so much. And as far as, you know, AI, join a community, connect with me with LinkedIn. I'll do my mm-hmm. best. But there's a lot of free stuff on LinkedIn, on yeah. Google, on yeah, NVIDIA has their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, Microsoft has a lot of stuff. There's just so much free stuff. So, but, but doing it, you know, you can only go. So if you want to go fast, go alone. If you Mm. want to go far, go with a group. Mm. I love that. Yeah. A hundred percent. So that's interesting. I, I I think that that can be applied to a lot, right? I mean, across the spectrum, um, you know, recently in one of your more recent newsletters, you mentioned grit, right. And how it can help you get the most out of your working life. Uh, how has grit been a crucial trait for you in your career? Yeah, so I am a big fan of Angela Duckworth's book mm-hmm. on, on grit. Mm-hmm. And once I read it, I was just like, oh, my God. And the funny thing is, uh, when I started working at um, at Microsoft, um, that was one of the books they, they gave us. Oh, really? Huh. As, as a onboarding. Nice. And I was like, holy crap, you know, this is great. This is so yeah. great. Um, so, um, I am a big believer of this. One of the, one of the things that we do sometimes, and, you know, I'm guilty of this as well, is we, we tell people, oh, it's okay. You, you can't do this. And, um, Angela's, uh, Duckworth's thesis is the growth versus fixed mindset. Mm-hmm. When you tell a person that, um, you're good at something, the first time they encounter an environment where they realize they're not as good at that, mm. they might fall apart. I'm not saying it's 100%, but they might. Right. But if you tell them, hey, um, you, you can be better at this or, you know, you did a good job. Mm-hmm. What you're doing is you're encouraging effort, not a static thing about them. Like, right. you know, I can, you can say, hey, you know, you're beautiful to a child. Mm-hmm. Well, beauty is not lasting, but, you know, you can look good, then there's an aspiration to improve even right. looks, right? You can put on makeup, you can improve, you know, work out, right. do whatever, right. eat right, you can get better. 
there's always that room for growth. But the the magic formula in, that's missing in that is that grit. Mm. Grit is this ability, you know, to me, you know, there's life and entropy and I'm going to get like into physics. Yeah. Entropy is that principle that kind of everything decays. Mm. To me, I view life as the defiance of entropy. Mm. Life creates. Right. We humans and all, all living things, we, you know, look at plants, look at animals, look at everything. Mm. We create. We right. don't allow things to decay. We build. Mm-hmm. We actually we're fighting entropy by just being, by existing. Right. And I think that that's the grit that is common to all humans. It's in us. And a lot of times we kind of lose it and we go, oh, I can't do this. And, you know, mm-hmm. despair. Mm-hmm. Look, it's human. It's human to despair. I'm not criticizing anyone to have that. Right. But it takes that determination and grit to overcome that. And the results are always amazing because yeah. you either learn something new or you you create what you want to create. And either way, it, you're closer to your goal than giving up. Right. And to me, that is such an important part of, um, and, you know, I say my mom told me that I can do anything I want to. I, I believe it yeah. because I need to believe it to improve. Absolutely. And I've, I've talked to so many young people who are like, oh, well, you know, back then this was this and that's mm-hmm. why you got here. Listen, you know, this is the best time in the world mm-hmm. to be alive. I wish I was younger. I, you know, I'm, I'm fine where I'm at, but yeah. I think that it doesn't matter mm-hmm. um, because I have that grit that can get me from anywhere I am. It doesn't matter where you start. It's, it right. matters how far you go. And so if you have the grit, you will go far. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. There's a lot of people who were born with silver spoons and mm-hmm. all the opportunity in the world who didn't do much. Right. And there's a lot of people who started rock bottom and did amazing things. Absolutely. And the difference is grit. The difference is that growth mindset, mm-hmm. grit, determination. And it's it's a, it's a winning formula for me. 100%. Yeah, I, uh, I love that. I mean, I think that it's... I like the, what you mentioned there about kind of younger people, right? Because I do think that, you know, some of the challenges that we face today are pretty existential in scope, but therefore the solutions are that much more grand, right? I mean, I, I think that that's... Absolutely. One yeah. of the persons that I follow, uh, his name is Peter Diamandis, and he says that if you want to transform the world, um, you know, solve solve a problem for a billion people rather mm. than 10 people. Mm. And not only will you transform the world, you'll, you'll also get rich, even if you charge them a buck a piece. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so, um, so yeah, big problems means big solutions, big opportunity. Right. I, absolutely. Especially in uh, today's day and age, right? Yeah. Um, so, how how did you kind of use grit to your advantage as a founder, right? Because I think one thing that I haven't necessarily mentioned is that you're a multi-time founder. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, uh, I think that because of the way I am, I use it in everything that I do. And mm-hmm. definitely as a founder, it's the loneliest place in the yeah. world. Right. And there's going to be a hundred people that tell you, oh, you know, you can't do something. Mm-hmm. So 
for a founder, if you do not have a growth mindset and if you do not have grit, then you really need to do some work. I think it's more important for a founder than anywhere else. You can kind of get away with having a job. If you're decent at your work, you can get away with a lot of stuff. But as a founder, you're, it, it's your thing. It's your creation. And so it's so much more important. So let me just give you an idea. My first yeah. ideas for found when I was starting out, you know, this is decades ago, I was trying to do things. Oh, I'll write this and I'll write that. And what I realized was that I was not solving a problem for anyone. I was mm. kind of solving a problem that I thought existed. Mm. It was only when I started sort of interacting with the world and saying, hey, right. you know, if you had, um, you know, if, if you could solve one thing, what would it be? And that's when that requires a lot of disappointment because it requires, oh, I've got a brilliant idea. I know this will make a you know, million bucks or whatever. Right. And then somebody says, oh, I wouldn't pay money for it. Mm. That's growth mindset. That's grit. So totally. then you, know, you could give up and you could say, oh, well, let me find another person that will say yes to me. And mm. you might find a few people. Or you could say, well, what would you pay? You know, whatever, 100 bucks mm. for and that's the difference between having grit and not having grit. Yeah. And to me, grit is not just being stubborn. There's a big difference. Mm -hmm. um, stubborn would just keep doing what, are, what you're doing. I think right. having that grit that is, this is my vision. I want to accomplish it. It doesn't matter what it takes and mm -hmm. how it's done. I think a lot of founders get kind of stuck in the minutia. Well, it must look like this. Mm -hmm. It must follow these steps. And that's where, you know, that's stubbornness, not grit. Grit would be, you know, I want to create a product to solve this problem or to transform this sector or whatever, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then you do whatever it takes to get there. Right. That's grit. So it's Absolutely. it's more to me, grit is more vision driven than just being stubborn. Being mm -hmm. and it, it requires vulnerability, right? That's it's kind it, of what it you. Does. Yeah, it, it requires be, being able to say I'm wrong about something, right. and I'm willing to learn. And mm -hmm. that's the growth mindset part with grit, is that you have to say, oh. This didn't work. What, what else? What, what is, so like I said in the example, oh, let me sell you this idea. They mm -hmm. say, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pay for it. Well, what would you pay for? Oh, well, you know, you think that this is the problem, but this is really most of right. my problem. Well, let me solve that. And then right. maybe we can come back to the other one and whatnot. I mean, even Twitter didn't start as Twitter, right? right. So um, yeah, pivot. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be afraid. I um. That's awesome. So I, I do have one last question for you, which is in this industry, what is the one thing that you're the most excited for right now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that I'm very excited about AI, the, mm -hmm. the, the changes in AI, but I think that more than that, mm -hmm. um, and this is going to so sound kind of weird, but I think that we as human being, uh, there are two things. One is that we're on the cusp of a transformation of the human condition yeah. that is going to be slightly on the post-scarcity side. Mm. And that leads us to nothing but a sort of a conscious 
upgrade, consciousness upgrade. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're headed there. Right now mm-hmm. we're kind of focused on there's a war here and homeless people here and this person's rights are violated and whatnot. We're kind of at that point. But I think we're very close to getting over that mm-hmm. and growing in a way that we all have um, a lot more potential that we can realize. And then the other thing is space. <laughs> I am very excited about saying space travel and leaving our galaxy, our planet. Yeah. That's going to be fantastic. I love it. Excited awesome. About it. I love those answers. Yeah, I, uh, I am excited about both of those as well. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Well, um, Barka, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for uh, you know, your, your unique perspectives on, on all of these issues and, and for just taking the time to do this it means a lot. Would you, um, would you mind telling everybody kind of where to find you? Um, yeah. So LinkedIn is the best place to find me. I'm most active on LinkedIn. I do tweet, but not much. Um, so LinkedIn, it's my name, Barca Herman. And, uh, I think I might be the only one on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> and, um, uh, and then um, if, if you are a woman in tech and you want to join my community, it's South Florida Women in Tech is the, uh, the name of the organization. SFWIT.org is a place to go. SFWIT.org. And uh, if you are a woman in tech and you want to be on my podcast, tell your story. Reach yeah. out to me on LinkedIn. I would love to talk to you. Awesome. And Max, I mean, it's so wonderful to see um you do what you're doing i love what you're doing i've been listening to your um episodes and enjoying them very much thank you wonderful to see young people sort of be in the creator space and Mm. you know making a change i think i love it i love it thank you thanks so much Parker. i really appreciate it i um this has been fantastic yeah yeah awesome thanks for having me (laughs) Oh, my pleasure. (laughs) 